Hello, all you reinventors out there. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and here's the question for you today. What do you do when you've been headed towards pre-med since high school, and you've actually made it as a doctor, and you are a pediatric anesthesiologist, and you love everything about it, you love comforting people, you love taking charge, you love the constant learning, you love the people you work with, but you're being killed by the lack of balance when you want to have a family. What the heck do you do? Well, Jeannie Rossner decided, and she says she was fortunate to have the ability to do this, she decided as she was merging into having three children that the work for its, the workload was too stressful to be 100% doctor, 100% mom, 100% wife. And she worked with her husband, and they decided that she was going to leave the medical profession. And she now has a whole nutrition business. It's called soulfoodsalon.com. And it's all about health and wellness, and she does it both virtually and live. And her passion is educating kids and educating all of us about how to bring better things to all of our lives through science. So let me introduce you to Jeannie Rossner, who has one great way for fulfilling yourself and figuring out what's next and saying goodbye to a long-loved profession, but that was not right for creating happiness in her full life. So welcome, Jeannie. So glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about, I want to hear a little bit about your past first, because you made quite a transition. And let's talk about why you became a physician to start with. Were your parents physicians? How did you get into that, into that business to start? Okay, well... I guess um, I've been thinking about this a bit lately, and I would say in high school, I took a class, um, anatomy and physiology, and that really sparked a huge interest for me. Um, So never underestimate the quality um, of a teacher and how they can inspire you. And so after high school, that was kind of my path. I I did a little bit of uh, like interning in the hospitals, like in occupational and physical therapy. I've always been pretty athletic, so I thought maybe that would be a route perhaps that I would uh, pursue. And, um, and then I went to um, college, and I was a pre-med student. However, I took advantage of a liberal arts education, and I was a political science major. I figured that was my only opportunity really to expand my horizons. However, still focusing predominantly on sciences. And... Uh, I, from college, I went right into medical school and, and then I went and I trained, uh, my medical school was at University of Miami in Florida and we were a big county hospital and I loved my patients. I loved the experience. It was very clinically driven. And from, from my, uh, medical school, I then stayed on at University of Miami at, at Jackson Memorial Hospital and did my residency um, in anesthesia, and I one aspect of anesthesia that I loved predominantly was working with kids, and so I did an additional year of training in pediatric anesthesia in Los Angeles. 
I was, uh, I moved out to California. I had started dating my now husband who was here in California. And so I came here and did my training in LA and then I moved north into Northern California and I worked predominantly at Stanford Hospital as a pediatric anesthesiologist for approximately 20-ish years. And I loved what I was doing. I was constantly challenged. I was constantly learning. I enjoyed my colleagues. I enjoyed interacting with the patients. I enjoyed interacting with the families. For many of you, if you've ever had surgery or have ever had a family member or child have surgery or anesthesia, it's, it's a very, very stressful time. And patients are at their most I think their peak vulnerability and I took advantage of that and really tried to comfort people during that time. I became an, a parent during my training and during my work experience. And so I think that helped, uh, lead, I was more em empathetic to my patients and I just, I love what I was doing, but as I kept having more and more kids, I have three children now, um, my workload, was very stressful and I was trying to maintain my work as a physician at the hospital in a stressful field and also be 100% mom, 100% wife. And there were a lot of competing uh, forces. And I, I, like I tried to be the best I could where I was. So when I was at work, I tried to be the best doctor I could be. However, I was the one that was being called by the nanny when my kid was sick and needed to go to the doctor or whatever was going on at home, I was the one that was, that was phoned. My husband wasn't necessarily, he travels a lot with work. And so I was, it was, it was hard, the, all those competing forces and navigating all of them. And uh, especially in a stressful field. And so I, I'd say about 15 or so years into it, I, um, I learned of a friend of mine who was doing um, life coaching on Facebook. And I'm not on Facebook that much, or I wasn't at the time. And I reached out to her and we started working together. And it was kind of through working with my friend Kathy that it opened up my eyes to some other things and other interests that I have. And that was kind of what propelled me to move forward in, in making some changes. And I could go into those changes. Would you like me to do that? Yeah, I would love to understand. Um, first of all, what did your husband do? Was he um, a physician as well, or what kind of business did he have? No, he's in finance, and uh, so he is like just moving and shaking with work. He's you know, he works in San Francisco, but he does a lot of travel. He they basically um, buy and sell companies and make them better, and he's he's into in. Some of his focus is, is a lot of consumer, the consumer industry, some of the healthcare industry. And he's always been extremely supportive of whatever I do, which is a, a big help um, to help. And it really helped give me that support to make some, some big changes career-wise for me. So I think having that support system is always, is always helpful for anyone making changes. So it was really the balance problem that was the issue? I would say yes. It was predominantly the balance problem. And uh, so, yes. However, when I started working with my friend Kathy, we did a few exercises, um, which I think are really, eye that were really eye-opening for me. And perhaps that could be helpful for others that are kind of in an inflection point or maybe thinking like, what do I want to do next? 
And a few things that we did, one was creating a vision board. And I still have my vision board. I made this maybe nine, 10 years ago when I worked with Kathy initially. And basically, essentially what a vision board is, is I went to the local grocery store or drugstore and bought a big poster board and then referenced about a, a bunch of magazines that I have. And I cut out words and pictures that spoke to me and I put them up on my vision board. And then Kathy and I spent some time and we looked at what I had, had put out on my vision board. And a lot of it is living authentically, learning, teaching, eating well, um, exercising, living life in balance, they're real, like, just really poignant. Uh, it speaks to me even to this day because it really does sit at my desk where I work. And I look at it and something sparks my interest every time I look at it. And from evaluating the vision board, Kathy and I started talking about, like, so what can I do, you know, to kind of foster these, this interest of learning and teaching? Um, I, I didn't really mention, but when I was in the hospital working as an anesthesiologist, we had medical students and residents that rotated with us all the time. And I was teaching a lot in the hospital. And I, that was one facet that I always loved. Uh, I would talk to, talk to my uh, residents about different cases and give them different challenges with questions. And I just was always really enjoying the learning and the teaching aspect. And so I, I took that out of the hospital setting and with Kathy's assistance, I then uh, in, I was encouraged and I approached my son's then fifth grade science teacher and asked her if I can come in and start teaching in their classroom. Uh, and the, I, I presented it as, you know, I'd like to teach some health and wellness classes, a curriculum, and focus on nutrition. And she was all game for that, which was great. And so I did. I went into the classroom like about once a month. And the, the kids were fifth grade students, so they were very eager to learn. And I had the credibility behind me with the MD, which was really helpful. However, I had to learn quite a bit to be able to teach it. I, I don't know if you guys have discussed this in your forums in the past, but in medical school, we get very little nutrition education. And we really don't get a lot of lifestyle uh, suggestions. And so I was trying to to learn that and to teach that to these students. And they were extremely receptive and it was really fun and I enjoyed it. And it was truly, honestly, my aha moment. Like, this is really what I want to do now. This is what I want to focus my time and attention with. And that was when I left the world of anesthesia. And I've now been in this world of teaching and learning and health and wellness for almost 10 years. And I still teach at the same school. My son is now in college. My kids are no longer at that school, and I teach kind of throughout my community, my in the middle and high schools, uh, health and wellness with a focus on nutrition, and it just, I, I, you know, a teacher might approach me and say, can you help come teach about the microbiome or whatever, and I have to learn quite a bit sometimes to teach that, that topic, and I have to bring down a concept that's pretty complex into more of a tangible mindset for a sixth grader or a 12th grader. And so I love that challenge and I love learning constantly and I love teaching it. So that's what I, that's what I do. And then about seven years ago, I broadened my scope of teaching into a form where I call it, I call a venture, I call it soul food salon. And the soul stands for seasonal organic 
unprocessed local, and the salons are small gatherings. And so I started this, like I said, about seven years ago, and my goal and my mission is basically to educate and empower all of us to be healthier. And my model has been where I've had events once a month, and I originally started them in my home where I featured an expert in the health and wellness community, whether it be a physician or PhD or um, a author, and they would come and do a talk in my living room, and I alternated them with cooking events in my kitchen. And it has uh, brought together a, a really nice sense of community, a nice sense of support, a network for people to feel comfortable, and, uh, and we're learning, and we are supporting each other along the way. And so that's that. So I, I do kind of both things. I teach in our middle and high schools, and then I also run this venture soul food salon. So let's talk about the obvious elephant in the room, which is finances. Most people can't do that because of the financial change, right? How did you navigate that? Did you, you know, work with your spouse and say, this is what we're going to do? Um, are you making the same amount or how did you go about that? So I am fortunate where, uh, for me, I guess you would call these, these passion projects, and I do not make any money on any of these ventures. I don't charge when I go to the schools, and I don't charge any fee for people that come to my events. I Each year, I partner with a different nonprofit and along, that kind of carries along the same mission that I have with um, health and wellness promotion. So like, for example, this year, I'm partnered with a local entity that's about maybe 10 miles from where I live, where they provide low-income housing, um, education, and they have a huge community garden for the local tenants in the area. And we are helping to enhance the community garden this year, where we're helping with irrigation, soil preservation, uh, education in the garden, how to garden better, and I'm providing some nutrition education to the community. So um, I'm not making any money, but when I, when I have my events, I ask people to help support the nonprofit that I am partnered with to help give back into the community. So that is my currency for me. That is, that is what I gain. I don't gain it necessarily monetarily in my checkbook, but I am gaining it in goodness and, and, educating others. That's, that's my currency. So the school work you're not paid for either? You're when you're teaching? I am not. Oh, I am not. Okay. All right. Interesting. I mean, it's, it's a, I go in to the school that my son was at and my daughter, I, I go about once a month and I teach, I, so I have a curriculum of about nine or so lessons. And over the course of this, this, uh, this mission of mine in the last 10 years, this has been my main focus. So I go to conferences only focused on nutrition, health, and wellness. And I, this is all I read about. And I am very connected still at Stanford. So I do some things with them. We, they have a, a couple years ago, they had a teaching kitchen course, which was, which was an elective course for the medical students on teaching them how to cook. And it was an eight-week curriculum. So that was, that was our nonprofit that we partnered with that year, Soul Food Salon partnered with, and we helped fund this elective course. And um, yeah, so I, don't, I don't make any money, and I don't, but it's just 
I don't know. I don't want to say it's the goodness of my heart. It's just what it's just drives me and and feeds my soul. And I know not everyone is as infor- as fortunate as I am. And I and I'm grateful that I don't have to, you know, stamp a a, a card to for my hourly salary, etc. Is there any, you know, because I do talk to a lot of lawyers and things like that, where the pressure to stay with that big salary is huge and prestige and all that stuff. How did you navigate all of that? If you were, um, I guess, I'm guessing that you and your partner decided this was something you wanted to do and that was fine. But did you get outside pressure? Like people going, what are you crazy? You know, I really didn't. Um, I didn't. I think, I don't know, maybe I'm just comfortable and confident with who I am. And I, not to say that those that are, that, that don't feel like they, they can do this are not comfortable and confident. I'm not diminishing them. However, I just, um, this just drove me. This was just, just sparked a, a huge interest in my life. And I have to say, I mean, I do miss my life in the hospital. I do miss my colleagues. I miss that camaraderie. However, I found a new group, um, a more expansive group. And I am still, I still fully embrace all of Western medicine, which is what I was practicing for 20 years. But I, I have, I I now have the time to focus more on other modalities like meditation and mindfulness and diet that are such, that are so important for health and wellness um, that I wasn't able to focus on when I was practicing almost rotely in the hospital. Uh, So I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's, it wasn't like a real hit to my life and my ego. I, I, it wasn't. Okay. Interesting. Cause I would think that that, and, and none of your doctor friends said, what are you crazy? Not really. I think, you know, no. And it's interesting because as I was working kind of maybe the last five years of work, when I had three children, I went down to about two days a week at work and granted, that was still like 12 to 14 hour days, you know, with call and emergencies and whatnot. Um, but, but I always went to work with like a bright face and I always like had determination to be efic- efficient and effective and, um, you know, do a really good job. And I think that, that added positive energy in the operating room, for example, because a lot of people were working, you know, many more hours than I was. And I think people were a little bit, maybe, I don't want to say jealous of my situation that I could work the few, you know, the two days a week, perhaps. So maybe people were, I don't know if they, I don't know if they looked at me differently. I don't know if they were jealous that I was able to take this path and step down from this, you know, this hard cycle of like just constant work. I mean, I just, I'm very fortunate that I was able to step back and reflect on what, what meant, what was more important to me. And honestly, I think about it all the time that I, I know I'm very grateful and that's why I love that I can give back to my community and to, to others to learn and be more healthy. So if others wanted to do something similar to you, what kind of recommendations would you make to them? Like if you, a good friend said, I'm thinking about the same thing, but I don't know that I, you know, have the total financial support. Could you do it as a 5013C? Could you do it? Do you have any sense? I mean, I think you could. Um, I, 
I know that, I mean, I know that you could charge for my events that, but that's just has not been my model personally, but I know that people, I mean, I know that your form has a fee. It, it would just, it, the salons would just require people to make payment to come to them. And maybe my model would shift where, you know, you wouldn't maybe perhaps partner with a nonprofit and maybe the profit would go to you uh, personally. I do a lot of writing as well. And that's, you know, free. I uh, would, you know, I, I guess there would be a way to monetize this. Uh, I personally have never pursued that path, but I believe people could. Uh, I, you just have to be creative, I think, and pursue what, inspires and interests you and if it works it works and if it doesn't work then you learn from what perhaps doesn't work and change it up a little bit if you can you know trying to really adopt perhaps more of a growth mindset and and pursuing what you know what you can most gain for in a positive way what were the things that changed in the balance of your life when you did this what were the positive aspects that happened well, I, I laugh at this because, you know, I, I, as I mentioned kind of early on, I have always been into, I thought I was, I've always been into health and wellness. I was always, I always exercised. I thought I was eating well. Um, and then I started having children. And I would say really when I started having kids, that's when I really started to learn how to cook. So, you know, I was in this rat race of college, you know, being pre-med, med school, residency. It's, it's really hard, very structured very little time for balance, very little time to pursue cooking, for example. So then I started teaching nutrition in the middle schools. And I, I do an entire lesson or a few lessons even on sugar and, you know, ingredient lists and how to navigate through them. And, you know, one of the big, you know, things that I try to try to impart on people is try to avoid food that perhaps has uh, high fructose corn syrup that's a marker of a highly processed food item. And so I want to practice when I'm preaching. So I came home and I started looking through the food items that we had in my house. And one of them happened to be like Aunt Jemima pancake syrup. And I think the first or second ingredient on their ingredient list is high fructose corn syrup. So I threw it away and I kind of purged my, my pantry. And my kids were just like, what are you doing, mom? You know, we're not going to eat waffles and pancakes anymore. And I said, well, you know, I just don't want you having this. And so I bought maple syrup and they started, you know, very reluctantly using the maple syrup, but, but they did. So I, I really over time have revamped my life. Uh, one is diet. I'm now vegetarian um, and, and everything that I, that I read and learn about, it's, you know, really emphasizing more of a plant-based diet. And that's been about seven years. And, you know, I model that to my kids. I mean, I still, I make very little red meat in my house. I do cook a, quite a bit of chicken. My family doesn't like fish, so I'm kind of stuck with like chicken and vegetable kind of pasta dishes. Um, but I'm modeling, you know, eating more vegetarian diet for my family and for me. Uh, I exercise daily. I do try to impart mindfulness in my life with some meditation. Uh, so I'm trying to practice what I preach and I'm um, hopefully being the role model for my family and my community and hopefully inspiration for them too. And what now, how old are your kids? Are they, 
How old are they now? I have an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a 21-year-old. Oh, wow. Okay, so they're at that point. Do you see um, them following in any of your footsteps? What do you see as your impact on them? So that's another, that's another interesting question. So I, I do cook quite a bit in my kitchen and all through high school and whatnot, I would, you know, always have it open for the kids to come and join me. And they were always fairly reluctant to join. I, my middle son, Jake, he, in the summers, he would do some cooking classes with some friends every once in a while. So he's the only one that truly would venture in the kitchen and be a little bit, ex, ex, you know, explore a little bit. But I would say during this the sheltering in place time frame, those couple months that we were really home and I had to cook all the meals. I had my kids in the kitchen cooking with me. They, they welcome, I welcomed them and they welcomed it as well. And so I was able to really cook with them and enjoy that with them. So I'm hoping that they'll carry that with them. You know, I, I, I wouldn't say I was, I, I wouldn't say I was truly remiss in their upbringing of not teaching them how to cook, but they just were, doing sports and whatnot and never really ventured into the kitchen with me. But now they're much more open to it. My daughter, who um, my youngest is 18, she's going off to college in the fall. She's probably my worst eater, but she has definitely been exploring. Um, She eats salads now. I have a garden, so she'll come out to the garden with me and get, you know, grab some kale and some lemons and make a kale salad. So I, I, yeah, so I think that they're, they are, I don't know, I want to say maybe drinking the Kool-Aid, I would hope to say, but they, uh, you know, it, it feels good to be healthier and to eat in a healthier way. So I think that they're feeling that as well. And let's just talk quickly about post-COVID. What are you seeing for <laughs> any changes in your business or adaptations or reinventions you need to make? Sure. So um, historically, as I mentioned initially, my events were I, I held them once a month, and as I said, I alternate, alternated with, like, talk concept, whether it be about cardiovascular disease or the microbiome or protein, and then I alternated with a cooking event with either a cookbook author or a, a physician that would come in and cook in a healthy way. And uh, right as the sheltering in place happened in California, I had an event scheduled and we moved it to a virtual Zoom event where it was, that event was in March and it was a cookbook author and a physician. They wrote a book called Half the, Half the Sugar, All the Love. And so uh, we moved it into a Zoom virtual salon and it was part presentation on what sugar, the toxicity of sugar, et cetera. And then there was a um, cooking demonstration. And then subsequently we did, <coughs> excuse me, I hosted about, I think three other salons, one about resiliency and transformation. And so my goal has always been to educate and empower more people to be healthier and all for me also to be healthier and to also always reach a broader audience. And so with the virtual salons, my audience has expanded tremendously. And so I I foresee in the future Maybe, I mean, I really hope to be able to go back to in-person events. However, we are um, limited in the space, maybe to about 50 or so people that can, can be in person. And I like keeping it into a, as a small format just to, um, you know, make it more community-minded. And, pe- you know, we, we approach many vulnerable um, 
sensitive topics and I like for my audience to feel uh, accepted and not judged. And so I like the community feel of an in-person event. However, I'm, I'm anticipating kind of a combination of both perhaps. And, and going forward right now, I'm anticipating only doing the virtual events until we can really open up to a safer environment for the in-person events. So I don't know when that will be actually. So I, I haven't right now, like I kind of, I kind of shut shut down in the summer months. I don't no, normally do events. I use this time to learn and to read and to reflect. And I'm just starting to put together a list of some people that I want to approach about maybe doing events coming starting maybe August and September and in the more virtual format. So that's perhaps how it's going to be. Maybe when we can do in-person events, I'll do a kind of a combination of virtual and in-person events. And I will continue doing my writing. Uh, and so I have a website, soulfoodsalon.com, and we do a lot of writing. And that is under, I call it Soulful Insights. And either I write for the, those uh, posts or other people in the health and wellness arena have written a variety of topics. It's basically kind of a salon in a, in a digital format. And I think one thing that I failed to mention in my salons and in my teaching when I teach the students in the schools is I never want to just have like a very uh, broad topic presented. I always want to give someone a take-home message or strategies on how you can incorporate eating more plant-based diet in your diet, for example, or just different strategies on how to improve upon whatever the problem is that we address. So I'm always focusing, focusing on a problem or an issue and then how to combat it and bringing it into your home, how you can combat it. That, those are always my, my goal. Great. Awesome. Well, maybe we'll get you come to come and do one of our coffee and conversations. Those are our law, our virtual webinars. And we do talk about nutrition. Um, we do talk about all those kinds of things. So that could be fun one day. So I would love that. Thank you so much. What an interesting transition. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of our listeners who will um, be able to use this as a roadmap for what they do. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And uh, we'll see you soon. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Leslie. I appreciate it. So thank you for joining us today on Reinvent Yourself, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jeannie. And if you did, I hope that you will subscribe and pass this podcast along to your friends who are trying to reinvent or trying to be inspired about what they're going to do next, or trying to find tips and tricks about how to manage their life going forward. And also, if you enjoyed the podcast, I hope you'll leave us some stars or leave us a recommendation. And we'd also love to see you over at CoveyClub.com and over at Covey, Club, Covey Connect, which is our app where you can come and meet cool women just like Jeannie. And we also hope that you will come join some, some of our coffee and conversation webinars. We have tons and tons of topics. And I think I 
just twisted Jeannie's arm into getting her to be one of our topics coming up. And we do everything from how to manage your LinkedIn page better all the way through. We're actually going to try a cooking class uh, in a few weeks. So we want to make your life better. We want to make it more interesting and we want you to be able to reinvent in any way you can. So come join us. See you next time.